are listening to the Wayne County Community College District's Critical Conversations podcast with host Ed Clementi. Welcome to Wayne County Community College District's Critical Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Ed Clementi, and today we're pleased to have Ron Kagan, who is the CEO of the Detroit Zoological Society. And today we're going to cover pretty interesting topics like global impact that they're making around the world, their green print and their initiative of trying to make it a very green zoo, and new exhibits and events that are coming up all the time, as well as they're really engaged with the community. So we're looking forward to the whole topic. Thanks for coming, Ron. My pleasure. You know, I think everyone has their own view of the zoo, whether it's uh, professionally or through their kids or whatever. But uh, how do you define it, like your elevator speech? Like if you're – I know you're a global traveler. What do you tell people the Detroit Zoo is about? Actually, there are a lot of places I go where there are no elevators, so (laughs) elevator (laughs) speech doesn't always work. Okay. Sometimes it's in a kayak or uh, (laughs) something else. But um, I think the first thing, which may be a little bit surprising to your listeners, is that we're so much more than actually what people think a zoo is. The Zoological Society has two campuses, but more importantly, programmatically, we do work all over the world. In fact, we have programs on every single continent. Um, So we're a major conservation organization. We're a major education organization. Uh, We're a major organization in terms of sustainability. Uh, Obviously, we're a huge economic driver to the local region. We're the single largest paid tourist attraction in the state, uh, generating about $175 million a year of economic impact. So aside from the traditional obvious stuff, like we're just a beautiful place to visit and to experience nature, we do so much more. Oh, yes. Uh, In fact, I was at your Christmas lights festival. Wild lights. Yes, last year around the holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you also – I know your numbers are going up too. So I know you're doing more projects. And why don't you mention what you think maybe your sort of top ten things you've done since because you've been there how many years now uh 26 26 so and i know you've had a lot of accomplishments but do you kind of have your own favorite sort of top five or six things you think you're glad you accomplished well first of all and i say this with with great sincerity the accomplishments are not mine they're ours and we have amazing people connected to the organization Really, Ed, that's why I came here 26 years ago. I I never – growing up in Boston, I never thought about Detroit one way or another. Uh, But when I was recruited here and I met a lot of amazing civic leaders and saw how much the community loved the zoo, even through hard times, it was kind of obvious to me that there were lots and lots of possibilities. So the accomplishments that we've um, made are really through extraordinary staff and extraordinary volunteers, including our board and – we now have almost 1,200 volunteers who help us. It dwarfs the staff size quite a bit. So, you know, in the past 25 years, uh, there have been a lot of major things and, and uh, certainly opening up the Wildlife Interpretive Gallery, opening up the National Amphibian Conservation Center, which 20 years later is still the only one in the world um, and is a major powerhouse of amphibian conservation opening up the Arctic Ring of Life uh, and, and of course, the Ford Education Center uh, and and just most recently the Polk Penguin Conservation Center, which is the biggest and most amazing penguin facility in the world. 
Um, the fact that we're really uh, the only zoo in the world that has an academy for humane education. Uh, we're probably the most technology-focused zoo in the world with a 3D, 4D theater and a simulator and a science on a sphere. So I think there there's so many ways that we are kind of unique and we're pushing in lots of different directions. They're all parallel directions, but um, they're, they're just – we're really an amazing place and it's because of the people. But the other thing was that that transition, why don't you explain to people kind of the history of that a little bit because I don't know, still called the Detroit Zoo, but it's sure. a very independent organization now, right? Yeah. So uh, for many, many years, the zoo is now 91 years old, I think. Um, and uh, so for the vast majority of the history of the zoo, it was a uh, city department. Um, my my uh, boss was the mayor, and I was very fortunate to work for a number of tremendous people, um, and and also city councils. Uh, the challenge, of course, when the city started having really big financial problems, was that if you have to choose between, do you fund two hundred police officers or do you fund, uh, you know, people who take care of exotic animals? I certainly agreed with the decision that, that city leaders were making and I completely understood it. Um, and then the question was, what do we do? So we basically, of course, went to, to the legislature and they created a, a pathway for us to be able to do a millage. And then it was up to us to hope that the tri-county area uh, would be supportive and basically would vote to keep the zoo. And because of that long history where the community has loved and supported the zoo all these years, we've been very fortunate now twice to get um, a dramatic majority approval for for this millage. Fortunately, it's a modest amount. I mean, everything is important, but it's 0.1 mil. So for the average household, I think it's costing 10 or maybe as much as $15 a year for a family. But that's what keeps us stable. It provides about a quarter of our funding. Comparatively speaking, are most zoos set up like that in America? Well, the closest major zoo to us is the Toledo Zoo. They have eight times the millage that we do. Um, and so on, on the one hand, we look at that and we go, boy, wouldn't that be nice? On the other hand, I think it's very important for us to earn as much of our own keep as possible. So for us uh, to be able to generate over half of our revenue through earned revenue and about a quarter through uh, philanthropy and then a, a quarter through the millage, we think that's really kind of a healthy approach. And speaking of sort of philanthropy, but let's talk about leadership a little bit. You're a society, so you have a board. Why don't you mention at least who your chair is or some of the people? We have that- an amazing board. Uh, so right now, Tony Early is our board chair. Tony was on our board for many years, was the head of DTE, then moved to California, then came back. Um, so he began his term as chair uh, just this past June. Before him, Gail Warden was our chair. Gail, for those that don't know, was the CEO of Henry Ford Healthcare System, a really phenomenal uh, individual, um, really personally and professionally an amazing mentor and and confidant for, the, for me as the CEO. And we do have a large board of 65, and every single one of them is amazing. They're wise, they're passionate, 
They care a great deal about the community. They care a great deal about nature and the environment. Um, so we, we just have an amazing team. And I, I think a lot of um, people are really jealous of the leadership team that we have, both in terms of staff and, and board. Um, and if I didn't work there, I'd be jealous too. <laughs> well, I've, I've been on a lot of boards and I know you, you have no problem recruiting people to your board. In fact, I know it's, you cap it off actually from what I've heard. So let's see, you mentioned you came from Boston. Let's get a little bit about your background. I know that, um, I always ask this question of any guest, but probably what's a, what's not on their resume that people would be surprised to know about you? Um, well, <laughs> I, I suppose it's not traditional for um, somebody who runs a zoological society to have a background in auto racing, but um, <laughs> from the age of about, I don't know, 17 or something, I've been racing not all over the world, but not just in the U.S. Uh, it doesn't totally fit with the environmental piece, although I'm happy to say that I drive a Tesla and uh, not when I'm racing, but um, and and more and more actually, there in the racing world, there are electric racing vehicles that are now becoming more and more um, predominant. So, uh, I think that's probably something that would surprise a lot of people. I, I also know from our leadership time that uh, you also lived in Israel for a while too. I did. Um, I did my graduate studies there uh, in uh, desert animal physiology. Doesn't totally apply to Michigan's climate, uh, but uh, yeah, I lived there for a number of years. Um, you mentioned car racing, but is this the path you would have always chosen, or would you like? I don't. Was your degree originally in zoology? Yeah, or? yeah. So my degrees oh, are in okay. zoology, but it is. I mean, it's a fair question because there was this point in my life when I was young. Uh, long time ago, uh, when I really wasn't sure which direction I was going to go. I had aspirations to be a Formula One driver. Uh, and at the same time, I always had a passion for animals. I, I mean, I define myself as a bunny hugger. So while I'm a scientist and have a background in academia, I absolutely am very passionate about animals and, and nature. Uh, so I, I think... The only other career I might have pursued, because I did get into vet, veterinary school but decided not to do that, um, I might have gone into architecture because I love the creative elements of what we do. And I think uh, architecture in some cases allows you to be extremely creative. Well, you got two examples. You're probably doing architecture at least indirectly through at least the polar exhibit and the penguinarium, right? Absolutely. So you've got that opportunity to do it lot. surrogately. <laughs> yes, we work a lot with amazing architectural folks. Uh, for instance, the Arctic Ring of Life we designed with the people that designed Disney's Animal Kingdom. Um, before they did Disney's Animal Kingdom, they worked with me in Dallas when we did a gorilla conservation research center. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun to do that design work. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing about when you get to be a few years in the business that you can actually do some of the things that indirectly that you wanted to always do anyway, yeah. too. It's been a pleasure for me, too, at times. Mm -hmm. Um, the, you know, and this one ties a little bit into, even though you mentioned some of your board members, but have you ever really found someone inspirational for you? You know, I know everyone says their mom or dad and things like that, but like, who's helped you, you think, or mentor, maybe not even directly mentor you, but, Someone you found aspirational. For oh, yourself. so many. Uh, I'm, I. You only get to pick one. 
Uh oh. I, I feel you can mention a few. I'll yeah, I, good because I I really feel um, at times like how could this happen? Um, I love telling the story of when uh, Jane Goodall, who's a friend, uh, she was being honored in in Windsor. Um, and I had been honored for the same award the year before, so they asked me to introduce her. And then at the last moment, they said, actually, it's going to be on TV, so a journalist is going to introduce her, but we want you to give afterthoughts. And I thought, I'm going to follow Jane Goodall? Are you crazy? Uh, but that was the whole thing was a very fun experience, ultimately. Um, Jane has been very important to me since I was young, um, reading the books Born Free, uh, Living Free and Forever Free by Joy Adamson when I was a kid, uh, reading the, the story about Ernest Shackleton and uh, being one of the first uh, polar explorers to the South Pole. Uh, I'm going to see in about 10 days Cynthia Moss in Africa, who's been an inspiration to me. She's, I think, the world's authority on African elephants, has been doing incredible work there. Um, there are so many people that have had a huge impact on my life. Some I know now as friends and some I never knew, but their words really inspired me. Well, I know Jane Goodall actually, uh, she's still active, correct? Oh, very active. Yes. And so you, do you do some of your missions to Africa? And we can talk about that a little bit now. Mm-hmm. To visit her where she is, or how well, do you do that? So actually, she and I were corresponding last week. Um, Jane won't be in Tanzania when when I'm there. She travels about 300 days a year, which is pretty amazing for somebody who's 85. Um, but uh, I will see Cynthia, which is great. Um, we do go all over the world. So first of all, we have conservation projects on every single continent. Uh, actually, our biggest project right now is in the Falkland Islands, which is where there are hundreds of thousands of penguins. We're penguin experts. Uh, the Falkland Islands is very difficult to do work. Uh, so we use drones and, and we're doing health assessments. We're doing work that no one else can do and or no one else does. We've got a project in Antarctica. We've got a project in the Congo, which if you can imagine – we're in the eastern part of the DRC. Uh, we are completely surrounded by Ebola and by rebels. And we have 14 orphaned gorillas. They're the um, parents of the gorillas were, were shot and killed by poachers. And we're taking care of these 14 orphaned gorillas uh, with an incredible village there. Um, so we, we're really – I mean there's so many stories I could tell you of where we're working and what we're doing and it's all – Really important, really unique, um, and um, our staff are just so passionate and committed to making sure that we do everything we can to save nature. And you touched on a couple things, and I want to before I get to that, I want to reintroduce my guest again. It's Ron Kagan, CEO of the Detroit Zoological Society. And what site do you recommend people to go to if they want to get more? Be- become a member, all those kind of things. Well, that's great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Uh, DetroitZoo.org, O-R-G, is our website. Uh, we've got a lot of Facebook fans, too. We're very easy to find on Facebook. We've got, I think, 330,000 fans on Facebook uh, that follow us. Uh, we have over 50,000 families in the Tri-County area that, that have memberships. Um, so it's very, very easy to find out everything that we do uh, through our website and through our Facebook postings and Twitter and Instagram. 
Well, you know, that also triggers a couple other things, too, as we're sort of uh, navigating your website. Um, two projects, uh, if you could just maybe do a little bit of an explanation on both. One is the Berman Academy for Humane Information, and the other one is Green Print. So let's stick with the humane information one sure. first. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. Zoos spend a lot of time trying to help people understand nature. We think that there is more to it than just learning science. We think it's very important that people also think about things like values. And so, for instance, our mission is celebrating and saving wildlife. And we think that uh, part of that is having a commitment to having a healthy relationship with nature and with animals, um, making sure that basically we tread more softly than we tend to do in daily lives. We don't realize the impact of what we do. Now, some of this turns into very big issues like climate change, where people just don't realize what the real impact is of things that we do. Nobody intentionally harms the environment or harms animals. Uh, but uh, so, so our focus with the Academy for Humane Education is very much to try to get people to be more mindful about our impact on other animals and to make sure that we're helping, not hurting animals. And among the things that we do, we have a special lab where we teach science, we teach biology, and instead of the way you and I did it when we were kids, when you'd actually dissect an animal that was once alive, uh, we do this through models and through computer simulations so that no animals are harmed in the process of educating. So it's very important that, that we have a strong ethical foundation when we're working in the field of science. Are you creating your own AI in that field? Like are you I, I don't, documenting? And I, I don't think we're creating our, the, our own AI. I think what we're doing is we're using models that have been used in other places like for medical education uh, to try to find ways so that you can accomplish important things without harming. Well, I, I know the zoos, it's like a fraternity or, you know, sort of like a social club almost because you guys all know each other pretty well, I presume. And, uh, and I know you share a lot of things too. So is this something that you would like, is this something you share with other zoos so they could get their kids involved in sort of this humane Well, I, I will tell you that a lot of zoos send their team to us when they're contemplating developing things like uh, a polar bear exhibit or a penguin facility, uh, sustainability. I know we're going to talk about sustainability, yes. but, but education programs. I think in some ways, I mean, obviously we're not the best at everything. I'm very proud that the Wall Street Journal wrote about us, that we were the only zoo in the U.S. where they had nothing to complain about. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, they also said there were some things that were incredible, like the amphibian center they called Disneyland for toads, which I think is very cool. Um, but, you know, we also learn from other zoos and aquariums, and we pay attention to what they're doing. Um so uh, you did touch on it again. The other part of that is the green print, which I found you have quite a bit of information on your website about. And I know that this has been one of the initiatives of the society for you to yep. do this. So why don't you kind of explain some of the broader topics of it first? I will. Well, and first thing, I'm, I'm really proud that about two or three years ago, we won the green award uh, for the greenest zoo in the United States. Uh, and that is everything we do. 
operationally and also in terms of building projects starts out with a green focus. So some of these things are really unique. Like we have a smart flower. What's a smart flower? There are only two in the U.S. And we're the only zoo that has one. But this is a, it looks like a gigantic sunflower, and it's a solar device that tracks the sun. So it's always at maximum attack angle to the sun. So it's actually 40% more efficient than any solar device. It's right in the middle of the zoo in the mall, which means every one of our 1.4 million visitors see it. And there's tons of information about it that surrounds it. It catches your attention. We're able to help people learn a little bit about renewable energy and encourage more of that. We also have an anaerobic digester. So we have about 2,500 animals. They produce 1 million pounds of animal waste a year. That gets turned into methane, which powers a generator, which powers our animal hospital. Um, So there are just so many different things like this that are all – pushing for us to be carbon neutral and and to only use renewable energy, which we actually are one of only, I think, two zoos right now that exclusively uh, uses renewable electricity. The other thing, too, is, and as you've mentioned, Ed, I assume a lot of that, both those projects involve younger children, right? And you've been there 26 years. I would imagine kids, because of the internet, have changed tremendously since you started. And I would imagine you, they probably give you ideas now that you never thought about before. Well, they do. And uh, it's, they also give us hope. When I talk about climate change, and I, you know, it, it still astonishes me that there's confusion about climate change because there certainly isn't in the scientific community, notwithstanding the 1% of scientists who disagree with the other 99%. There's no confusion about it. But the the way this is going to get solved is through the kids of today uh, because clearly we haven't as adults shown enough understanding or conviction about what this really means for the future. And part of this is that we're not thinking far enough ahead and by the time we figure it out, it will be too late. Um, so we are really truly facing a mass extinction event. Uh, we could lose a million species by the end of this century. When you have a mass extinction event, if you look back in history, it normally takes 10 to 30 million years for biodiversity to recover. So we don't have time. <laughs> we, we have to radically change so much of what we do. And I know I should know the word, but what is the era we're in? Like the Athens? Anthropocene. Anthropocene. Yeah, yeah. And that's about the humans Human. now. Um, so, yeah, I find that uh, – and just to maybe hit on a few of the sort of pearls, I know you do a lot of major projects every year. I know – I'm not going to know the names for all of them, sure. but I know you do a major walk. Can you just kind of highlight or just list the ones you do where a lot of people come to the zoo or are involved with you? Sure. Well, I don't know. I guess I should start with Zoo Brew since okay. <laughs> it seems to be so popular when we introduce alcohol. I work for Michigan Liquor next. Control. Well, okay. okay. I'm watching yes, you guys. Yes. Okay. So we have uh, several events a year called Zubru, and we also have events called Wild Beasts, Wild Wine. <laughs> um, we do Sunset at the Zoo, which is an unbelievable event and, and the major fundraiser for the zoo every year. Um, and, uh, of course, Zubu, which is uh, all about Halloween. And then we do Wild Lights, which is spectacular, over 5 million lights 
animal sculptures. It's really just a winter wonderland and, 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 you know, nature themed. Uh, and of course, lots of new exhibits. We just, uh, opened the Devereaux Tiger Forest, which is spectacular. One of the coolest things is that, uh, you can see the tigers. Uh, we've got a Land Rover. The front half of it is in the tiger habitat. The back half is in the public area. So you sit behind the steering wheel and the windshield is essentially the glass divider between you and the tigers. And a tiger can be lying down on the hood of the Land Rover six inches away from your face. It's pretty amazing experience. Probably for selfies. Sure uh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And we opened up the, um, the Holtzman Wildlife Foundation Red Panda Forest and you're up in a rope yes. bridge. Because that's cool. Red pandas generally are in the trees, and so you're in the trees with the red pandas. We ask you not to take them home, um, but that's a neat experience. Uh, so, and we've got a lot of new things planned. We we're always doing something. You know, a couple other things too. I wanted to touch on is that is most of your promotion coming from K through 12 schools, or does it come through the social events you put on? Or? Well, fortunately, it's, it's really everybody. I mean, we, we do see that, uh, it's important for us to serve the entire community. Um, we work with a lot of other nonprofit agencies to, to try to provide access to the zoo for those that may not be able to afford it. So, you know, aside from the predominant tourism aspect and educational aspect, we're, we're as focused as, at serving the community as we are at serving the community of nature. So it, we're in the last few minutes of the program here, but is there anything else? And once again, I'm going to mention again, it's uh, Ron Kagan, who's the CEO of the Detroit Zoological Society. And why don't you give us a plug again? What's the best way to reach you guys again, just in case? So the easiest thing to do is to go to DetroitZoo.org. Uh, and you'll see basically everything about us and you can, it's so many different layers there. So if people want to see some of the films that we've produced or if people want to learn about events, all of that information is there. Our operating hours, our costs. I mean, you know, everything that people want to know is there. And then for really timely information, if you, uh, become a, a subscriber to our Facebook page, along with the other 330,000 people, then you'll get up-to-the-moment uh, information that's coming out. Uh, so those are really the easiest ways. And, I mean, uh, because you run on such a small fraction, I think the millage rate, I presume your website also provides a spot for donations and uh – I assume there's something there for that, but I, I, uh, I don't want to play too hard into giving I, you a lead. But, I, lo- uh, I, I love that. That's, yes. a, that's wonderfully helpful. So, you know, right now about a quarter of our budget comes from donations, from, from individuals, from foundations, from corporations. Uh, it, it basically is what funds new development. Uh, the earned revenue and the millage take care of basic operations, but they don't take care of the new developments. So philanthropy is incredibly important. Uh, I contribute to dozens of organizations every year, and sometimes they're small donations, sometimes they're big. And so hopefully if people do care about the work that we do, both on behalf of nature and on behalf of, of people in our community, it would be wonderful if they would sign up as members and if they would uh, be able to donate uh, for various uh, initiatives. Especially the uh, the Berman Academy for Humane Information. I think that's such a 
global or pandemic issue that people need to – it's a great way to do where you're putting your cash locally, but it's going globally. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, there. I, I mean the nice thing is there's a menu of a lot of different things that we do. And, and if you are passionate about education, there are plenty of ways to help us. You can even come with us. Uh, we have a trip every year to the Amazon where people pay to come. Uh, they're volunteers and they pay uh, to help us and we deliver school supplies to over a hundred villages uh, in areas that are extremely remote in Peru. These, these kids don't have running water. They don't have electricity. Uh, they're fighting off, you know, all of the scary things that live in the jungle, but they're the ones that stop deforestation. So for us, we're investing in their kids, and what they're doing for all of us is saving the rainforest. Well, I know it's not just you, Ron Kagan, but your team and your board and all the volunteers, the docents, everyone that works for you guys. You do a great job, and you're good credit for the city of Detroit, and you've put us globally on the map, and we really appreciate that as a region. And with that, I want to thank again Ron Kagan as the CEO of Detroit Zoological Society. Thanks again for coming on, Ron. And thank you for your service, Ed. Thank you for listening to Wayne County Community College District's Critical Conversations podcast with host Ed Clementi. We hope you enjoyed the show. To listen to other exciting episodes, log on to the college's website at www.wccd.edu and look for the podcast button located on the homepage. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Wayne County Community College District's Critical Conversations podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and are not reflective of this institution. The Wayne County Community College District shall not be held responsible for the misuse or reuse of this podcast series and shall not be liable for any damage resulting from the irregularity, inaccuracy, or use of information presented.